Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome back to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. As always, I am Nathan Grobel, Lord of the Manor of Boulder. I am here with my compatriot in arms, Joseph Doman of the House of Habsburg. How are you, Joseph? How long we're going to talk like this? Um, as long as people realize that they're listening to Catholic stuff, you should know. What a wonderful radio voice you have. I know. I am awesome. The better to delight you with. That's right. It's the, it's the only way I can learn to uh, hide the high-pitched nasal. Yam, yam, yam. That uh, was most of my junior high. So we're <laughs> back here in uh, Boulder, and we're recording another another edition by now. You've had a week to like us on Facebook or dislike us. Um, every dislike will uh, necessitate that we add another week to the podcast and make everyone wait. That's right. So you don't want to you don't want to suffer like that. It's a threat. That's right. In fact, last week we talked about canonizations, and you know this though that if you have the stigmata, and you are your cause of canonization is being pushed pushed through, the stigmata bears absolutely no weight. On in your canonization process, like doesn't count as a miracle, doesn't count as anything. It's just like oh, sigma is there. That's it. So if I live with a really annoying person for like all of my life, like that could get me more credit than bear bearing the wounds of Christ. I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, actually, no, not necessarily. Stigmata. I mean, I th- I think that it's the it doesn't count towards a miracle as okay. far as like you need three miracles to be a saint. Can oh, a saint. I see. And stigmata doesn't. Doesn't, All right. doesn't bear any bear any weight. Now, first, I, if I can say something, whatever you do, listener land, do not rent the movie Stigmata. Like, don't think that you're getting a wholesome family movie for your children. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, my friend, my friend back in high school, Molly. She called me over. She knew I was the token Catholic, so she's just like, "Oh, I got this movie. I'd like to watch it with you." And I was like, "Oh yeah, what?" And she's like, "Oh, it's called Stigmata," and I I'd heard about the Stigmata and. It's just really weird. It's a horror movie. Uh, not recommended. So Yeah, it's funny. Stigmata, it's one of those things that Catholics kind of hear about. And when you start looking at it, it's like, whoa, this is re- like, it's really just weird stuff. I mean, at least from the outside, from the exterior. If you're not, if you're not Catholic or you are Catholic, but you're not, you don't consider yourself terribly devout or mm-hmm. so. And right. And you haven't been familiar with these kind of things. This is the kind of things when you step back and look at it, you're like, actually, this is a really kind of a weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the whole, the incorruptibles. I mean, the fact that somebody dies and their body doesn't corrupt. And we're just like, oh, yeah, you know, that's just normal. I was talking to one of my, my high school guys uh, my when I worked at the high school, one of the guys I worked with. And I was mentioning incorruptible saints. He was like, whoa, whoa, what, what, do you, what is that? And I explained it. He's like, are you serious? Like, there are saints that... That happens, you know. Right. People just don't decay. I was like, oh yeah, uh, and I wonder if the stigmata is one of those things. Um, so, if people's consciousnesses have been informed by the movie Stigmata, right? Hopefully, you will be enlightened Good. beyond that. So, so but, what, what what exactly does stigmata mean? Let's begin from the ground oh, level. Okay, so stigmata, it comes from the Latin word stigma, which is a uh, mark. Yes, pretty simple. So Good. marks stigmata is just a plural. And uh, it is, they can be visible or invisible. This is an interesting, interesting thing. Um, the classic, I guess, marks of the stigmata are the, bearing the wounds of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Francis was the first reported case 
uh, of someone who had the stigmata. And what they were, he had two holes, in, a hole in each of his hands and each of his feet. And he had a big uh, gaping wound on his side that bled occasionally, um, seeped blood. And it sounds hor- it sounds pretty graphic, but this is it was, this is just the case. They're they're the wounds, and they're not caused by, um, you know, natural things. There, it's it, it each uh, case known case of the stigmata that's been at least confirmed by the church has each one of them, and I think there's three. Let's see, 321 cases of known stigmatas, uh, and they've all occurred in the state of ecstasy, which is the highest form of prayer in the spiritual theology. Uh, department, the highest form of prayer is ecstasy where, I mean, n- neither of us has ever been, I've never been, I can't speak for you, but I'm assuming. I had never done that drug. It's a, <laughs> yeah, not to be confused with the drug. It's a high oh. form of mystical prayer, okay. unitive prayer, um, where the soul is just kind of just being completely. That either. <laughs> um, you're ridiculous. But uh, they, it all happens in this state of ecstasy, the state of yeah. prayer. Um, so Fran, for, in Francis's case, it was just a couple years before his life. He was up on a mountain in a cave praying, and he had this crazy vision. In fact, let me read this because this is actually kind of a cool thing here. Um, just a little excerpt from one of his biographers. Francis, wild thing about his life, and he lived in the 1300s, I think, in the 1200s, uh, 13th century. And he uh, he... By the time he died, like he was, he was very similar to Mother Teresa. Like he was famous as an incredibly holy man. The Franciscan order that he founded was immensely huge. I mean, it was it was grown. It had grown by thousands, thousands of monks following him. Um, but at the end of it, and so when he died, there was a ton of biographers. But what several biographers document his uh, the stigmata. So this is what one of them says sure. about his experience. So he says this. When the blessed servant of God saw these things, he was filled with wonder, but he did not know what the vision meant. This is a vision. He rejoiced greatly in the benign and gracious expression with which he saw himself regarded by the seraph. So what happened here is he was in this cave and a seraph appeared to him, an angel with six wings, bearing the wounds of Christ. So he was kind of confused by it and didn't really know what to make of it. So he says he was perplexed by this. He was alarmed by the fact that the seraph was affixed to the cross and was suffering terribly. Thus Francis rose, one might say, sad and happy, joy and grief alternating in him. He wondered anxiously what this vision could mean, and his soul was uneasy as it searched for understanding. And as his understanding sought in vain for an explanation, and his heart was filled with perplexity at the great novelty of this vision, the marks of nails began to appear in his hands and feet, just as he had seen them slightly earlier in the crucified man above him. His wrists and feet seemed to be pierced by nails, with the heads of the nails appearing on his wrists and on the upper sides of his feet, the points appearing on the other side. So it was like the nails were going right through his hands and his Hmm. feet. The marks were round on the palm of each hand, but elongated on the other side. And small pieces of flesh jutting out from the rest took on the appearance of the nail ends, bent and driven back. In the same way, the marks of nails were impressed on his feet and projected beyond the rest of the flesh. Moreover, his right side had a large wound as if it had been pierced by a spear, and it often bled so that his tunic and trousers were soaked with his blood. Hmm. Isn't that wild? So Jesus is praying one day, all of a sudden he's like, whoa, n- like nail holes in my feet. It's it's just a wild, wild thing. 321 times something like this has happened um, that we know of. But it's not it's so interesting about the stigmata. It's not always necessarily in the hands and feet. It can be anywhere. It can be, there's been cases of, Saints having the crown of thorns, 
uh, just thorns, or maybe just one thorn that just in you know supernaturally appears there. Hmm. Um, Is that Saint Rita? Oh, I forget. I think she had the the she thorn, had a thorn. In her forehead for. That might be right. That sounds right, actually. Um, but it can be anything. And they can be visible or invisible. Um, so the common element here is that there are wounds with um, which with, uh, with which the person who has them suffers. So you, you wouldn't have the wound. It's not a stigmata. Somebody has the, bears the marks but doesn't suffer. Like doesn't have, they don't hurt him or her right. immensely. So, I mean, because the point of it is that God wouldn't supernaturally put a mark there that doesn't cause them any suffering. Um, cause that would just give you pride. It's just like, Whoa, look, check this out. Like, you know, right. um, this is, I mean, the people who bear the stigmata, it's a, it's a radical participation in the sufferings of Christ. And, uh, it's not like a pleasant thing. They're not just like, Whoa, this is great. In fact, a lot of saints were embarrassed by, they were, they were like, Padre Pio himself tried to, you know, hid them when he had gloves on Yeah, and he got embarrassed. He didn't really show people much. And, uh, St. Catherine of Siena, she had the stigmata for years and she was embarrassed by them, and so she just prayed and prayed and prayed that God would take it away, or at least allow her to suffer the pain of the stigmata, but take away the visible manifestation of it, and God answered her prayer. Wow. Um, and so, I mean, that happened with a few other saints as well. So it's interesting, but the, the common element is that it's visible or invisible, some sort of mark or supernatural inflicting of a pain that is for the sake of bearing the sufferings of Christ with him. So it's pretty a wild thing. Uh, so here's another question. Like, so why, what's the deal with this? Like, why, why, why is God, I mean, if God loves us and the people who love him the most, like St. Francis and St. Catherine, you know, why is he stabbing them with nails through their hands and feet? I mean, what's, what's the deal with this? Oh gosh. Um, it's kind of like what Teresa of Avila said. If this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, well, I think it was interesting what you were talking about that they have to bear the suffering because it it can't just be the 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 mark itself because Christ didn't just have the mark of the nails without the suffering because we've been talking in our Christology class that he did really suffer mm-hmm. um and that 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 Jesus like actually went through the the physical agony and so it's a participation in his humanity, right? And in, 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 in like the reality that he did suffer for us and that through his suffering, uh, we have been uh, made new. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, to get to the bottom of, to really talk about the theology of the stigmata, really just goes straight to the theology of suffering. And this is something that's very particular to Catholics. Uh, I mean, for the most part, and, and my limited, and I, I say this with a very limited perspective, um, but... I have some perspective, and uh, it, it's very easy for many Christians, non-Catholic Christians, to kind of sidestep stuff. I mean, Jesus suffered for us, but we don't have to suffer. You know, the Christianity is not about suffering. It's about it's about being a good person and and being blessed and and prayer and you know and loving people, which is true. But um, Jesus is the one who taught us how to love, and He did so by suffering. And we always want to separate. I mean, our human nature and our fallenness. We always want to separate. We we want love, but we don't want to suffer. My dad, he gives a wonderful, a wonderful talk to uh, to married men just about how to be a father and how to be a husband. And one of the things that he does, he just writes on the board, sacrifice. And he just underlines it and he says, you're not getting around it. You know, if you want to love your wife, if you want to love your children, that's what it takes. I mean, love and suffering 
you is to suffer is to love and to love is to suffer in many ways. I mean, we can, yeah. we can suffer and become bitter and not loving yeah. it. Um, but to truly love someone, uh, you, you're willing to suffer for them. John Paul II, uh, had a, had a friend once, um, who he said this to, he said, well, we know, we really don't know each other yet because we have not yet suffered together. Hmm. And when we, and we know this from our experience, yeah. I mean, think about like a, a football team, you know, who goes through hell or Navy SEALs. I mean, they go through this intense training, buds week, all these things, and they become fused together because of the suffering they've endured together. I mean, this is very analogous. This is very analogous to how Christ suffers for us. But there's something, there's something similar there yeah. that we can look to, that suffering fuses us together, and through suffering, we, mm-hmm. we learn how to love. And we learn obedience, uh, just like Christ did through what he suffered. So, um, so the one who has the stigmata, um, they, before they even have the stigmata, there's some sort of intense unity in prayer with Christ. I mean, there's an intense, I mean, St. Francis was an incredibly holy man. He didn't get the stigmata until two years before he died. So, I mean, this, this is something that comes after their, their, their soul has already been united, uh, to, to Christ suffering on the cross and, and out of love for him. And this is interesting because we're so, our body and soul, and we're always coming back to this on the podcast. It's so united. We always try to separate body and soul I'm just a body. I'm just a soul. No, like we're really a human being is a body soul composite. And the two are always together. You know, that's why when we we do things with our bodies that are sinful, it affects our soul, you know, and vice versa. When we do beautiful things with our bodies and we love, it affects our soul. And when the soul is so united in love with Christ, the stigmata is just like an bodily expression of that. That's a grace. It's not like a scientific, natural, yeah. like, you know, you put this equation of how holy you are and eventually you just should be getting the stigmata or be incorrupt or something. This is a divine gift, an initiative of God, but it is a reflection of the reality that we, our, our souls are to be united with Christ on the cross. Um, so, I mean, that's that's just a very surface level kind of base um, explanation, I guess, of the theology of suffering that underlies um, the stigmata. And we, through suffering, we, there's a whole aspect of redemptive suffering. You know, we, St. Paul talks about in the scriptures about um, completing what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. You know, Christ suffered for the salvation of the world. And Paul talks about we got to complete what is lacking. And what does he mean by that? Um, And a lot of, you know, this is, this is one of those, I mean, the Catholics have Bible verses that we kind of shy away from because the Protestants (laughs) use them so much. And Protestants, it's, this is one of those Catholic ones that, I'll, some of my Protestant friends I'll ask them about, and they're like, yeah, what does Paul mean when he says we have to make up for what is lacking in the sufferings mm-hmm. of Christ, you know? Yeah. And what Paul, what the tradition of the church is, at least, and how the fathers would interpret this, is that what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ is my suffering. Because as a Christian, I'm con- I am made a part of the body of Christ mm-hmm. and, and the church. And to be a part of the body of Christ, I have to enter into his death and who is resurre- and by his death enter into the resurrection with him, you know. Um, so we're baptized and we enter into his, his death and resurrection and baptism, but we live at our baptism by loving and we love by suffering. And so we, in some mysterious way, participate in the salvation of the world by uniting our sufferings to Christ. And it, it's, it's, I mean, this is like so central to what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Catholic, um, because this is what we do in the liturgy too. I mean, that's like, a whole other thing, but when we go to the liturgy, we don't just kind of come and watch, you know, watch the, what's going on on the altar, and uh, the body of Christ is there, and Christ crucified is present in the liturgy. But we bring our very selves, and we unite. We bring ourselves in the offering of the mass. We bring ourselves to the altar, lay our own sacrifice on the altar, 
And then the Holy Spirit transforms that sacrifice into the body and blood of Christ. It's a beautiful mystery, but this is so central to our faith, um, the theology of suffering. And, uh, and I think it's important for people to hear because we all suffer. I mean, everybody's got, you're not getting around it. You're going to suffer either in love or you're going to suffer in bitterness and you're going to try to run from it or you're going to embrace the cross. Um, and, uh, but it's good for people to know like, okay, I can do something with my suffering. I can, I can allow this suffering to be a way that like, Lord, what are you, how, how, how can I learn more about you through this suffering? Whether it's my boss driving me crazy or my kids driving me crazy or my husband driving me crazy or some sort of sickness or some sort of financial difficulty, whatever difficulty we encounter uh, and whatever way we have to trust and that it's causing us pain, discomfort, whatever, we can take these sufferings, bring them to the cross, bring them to the mass yeah. and unite them to Christ. And so this is what the stigmatists mm-hmm. would do. And then at a point where in their spiritual life where they're so united to Christ, these wounds appear and it's wild. So... Anyway, that's a that's a theological explanation of it. But well done. It's pretty wild stuff. Yeah um, the uh, the 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 suffering apart from from Christ is it, it remains kind of um, suffering. It, it has no it has no intrinsic value. It's just kind of a negative um, pain that's experienced alone. Um, but I I, sp- I especially appreciated the the relation to the unitive uh, aspect of sharing in the suffering of Christ, which is, which is compassion to suffer with is compassion. Yeah. That's and the we're, Latin we're sh- is cum passio, right? We're sharing in his, we're sharing in his suffering. Um, and that we have a part to play in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, not only do we have like, he, he desires that he desires yeah. that we would somehow participate yeah. In the great work that he and that the 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 beauty of the cross, you know, which is his whole—that's what Jesus is all about. He came so that he could suffer and die, yeah. Because it's through suffering, and dying that he, like a husband for his wife, you know, suffering mm-hmm. for him is that—that's how he loves her. Well, and um, and, a, and a wife who labors for her children. I yeah, mean, same no, way. no, no mother would say that she didn't experience suffering in bringing her children to new life. Well, um, epidurals. I mean, my sisters. Yeah. Some of my sisters are all about it now. They're like my sister Alicia. Oh gosh, she's gonna. She's gonna get mad at me for you saying you never this. you never admit the epidural. No, but she she had I mean oh she has nine children and I think eight of them were natural births. So I mean she gets she, one. She gets one, <laughs> and she's like, I'm not going back. I've I've done yeah. natural enough. But yeah. um, well but yeah. they still had to go they still had to go nine months you know heavy laden. Yeah, that's true. You're not, and we 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 speak of this with fear and trepidation. Any 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 woman yes. listening to this who's born children is like. You don't even go there. You don't even know yep. what you're talking about. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, please, please, uh, please don't inflict suffering upon Have us. Mercy on us, celibate yeah, right. uh, seminarians. Um, yeah. yeah. So, just a few other small things about the uh, stigmata, just more on a natural level, mm-hmm. um, because you know, a lot of people will look at these and be like, "Okay, what do you do with this?" Even like non-Catholics, you know, who or non-Christians, non-believers, what do you do with this problem? Do, do they try to explain? And there are people who try to explain it with natural causes or maybe they inflicted this on themselves or psychological things and uh, and there's been studies in fact Padre Pio who's now Saint Pio <clears throat> excuse me uh, was a uh, an Italian priest in fact I think he was I might be wrong in this but I think I've heard this and I, I couldn't find this when I was doing research that he was the only priest to bear the stigmata uh, at least who was also canonized as Saint Saint Francis wasn't a priest he was yep. a deacon um, and most of the stigmatists were actually women because women, in general, seem to be holier than men. <laughs> mm-hmm. Our churches are filled with women. Not that there's not holy men, but 
Um, yeah. But there's a lot of women stigmatists. But uh, Padre Pio was the only, uh, allegedly, the only um, canonized priest who was also a stigmatist. But he died, I think, in 1968 or so. Yeah. Um, he had the stigmata for 50 years. So, I mean, when he was, I think, 20-something, wow. he uh, got the stigmata. And it went away for a brief period and then came back. But, I mean, he died in 68. So there was, like, numerous medical studies and all these things and they they couldn't they didn't know where and his his wounds are very particular they were like perfectly round uh they had a uh, sweet perfume that came from them um in fact Padre Pio's burial place right now you go to his body where his body is and there's still an aroma really? of roses there um but his his hands would smell um have a sweet perfume there um yeah and this is this is the three kind of like inexplicable things with the stigmata that not just with Padre Pio but with Sure. Any stigmata or or many stigmatas that seem to be unexplainable uh, or at least perplexing at the very Stigmatists. least. Stigmatists. So number one, um, none of the physicians could succeed in curing them. They're incurable. They couldn't take, no matter what they did, bandages, ointments. Uh, they usually didn't, you know, Padre Pio's wounds never got infected, but they were also never cured. I mean, that's very wild. It's yeah. very mysterious. Um, and on the other hand, they, and this is similar to what we just said, uh, they didn't give off a foul odor, these wounds, which a lot of human wounds will. Um, and in addition to that, they, many of them, not all of them, uh, would give off a really pleasant odor, which is pretty wild. One of them gave off an incredibly foul odor, actually. That was that was St. Rita. Oh, she was, well, yeah, she had the uh, thorn yeah. attached on her forehead. You were right about that. But hers was apparently unbearable, which would be really, can you imagine being this sweet little nun who's, you know, you know all women in some way care about their appearance, let alone how they smell, you know? And if you had some wound that was just like unbearable for people to be around, and it's like, thanks a lot, God. Like this is, <laughs> thanks, thanks for letting me participate in your sufferings yeah. more, you know? Um, vanity of vanities. That's right. I'm sure she didn't uh, let it get to her too much. So that's why I'm not St. Rita and she is. So, yep. So that's all I got, man. Crazy. It's wild stuff. And there's, there's, there's a lot of good stuff on here. I, we're only really touching the, the tip of the iceberg here, but Stigmatis, they're super weird and, I mean, uh, really pretty Catholic. rare and really Catholic, yep. but also really remarkable and yep. amazing. So, yeah, I um, do we got any emails? I got one here. Check it out. Uh, let's do an email. We haven't done an email in a while. We didn't do any emails last time, did we? I don't remember. I still don't have the password, so. <laughs> That's right. Don't uh, email me because I won't know. And apologize to all those emails I have not yet returned, but I'm getting good. I'm only down to like... yeah. 30 in the box right now so i'm i'm pretty and I, I should be able to 15 of those soon. are from a certain uh teacher at our seminary so that's right <laughs> i won't mention any names but terry wright please stop emailing us <laughs> dr terry Wright. dr terry i'm just kidding um so this one is from amber um amber says i recently found your podcast while searching for stuff you should know which is a wonderful coincidence stuff you should know for those who don't know we, I, I used to refer to it as the father podcast um, stuff You Should Know is one of the more popular podcasts out there. And so when you have a name like Catholic Stuff You Should Know, this might happen a lot. So she heard about us um, while looking for Stuff You Should Know and thought that I would try out an episode. I ended up downloading all of them as far back as iTunes went in about September 2010, and I'm currently on February. Anyway, she says she was raised as a Protestant. My dad was raised Catholic along with his 11 siblings. Got my family beat out. So even though my parents and siblings and I went to various Protestant churches, I grew up kind of a half-breed. I went to a Catholic college, Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. 
A few years ago, one of my best friends who is Catholic convinced me to attend Mass with her, and I've been going ever since. Very cool. I get more out of it than I did with any of the different denominations of Protestant churches I've been to, and I had thought off and on about converting but never did anything about it. So she didn't convert, she would just be going to Mass. So now the issue has come up again with my boyfriend, who is Catholic, about getting married someday in the near future, and he wants a Catholic wedding. Bum, bum, bum. And I know my dad wants a Catholic wedding also. It's been on my mind for a while now, and I'm thinking, and I think stumbling on your podcast wasn't a coincidence. I've learned a lot from you guys, and I think I'm going to start looking into those RCIA classes soon. Keep them coming. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Amber is the color of the energy. Welcome back. That is Whoa. that is super cool. Um, yeah, I actually think that there's more people who come to the church from marrying Catholics than for yep. any other reason. Isn't that amazing? Yep. But that's awesome. Man, God's doing some crazy things. Yeah, stuff you should know. Check it out. Yes, look for stuff you should know, and you might find us too. Yeah, right underneath it. So, Amber, thanks for the email. That's right. Uh, please email us uh, CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. We love getting them. I will respond to your email. Uh, and you can also find us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. That's right. Right, Nathan? I am hoping that all the kids at Matchbuff High School, I was just uh, blessed enough to give my first ever high school lecture um, this well, this Thursday to match buff seventh period. We Miss- thought you were hilarious. Nah, they didn't laugh. I don't even think uh, they all picked up their bucks and ran out of the room <laughs> as soon as the bell rang. So, uh, but you know what, guys, you're pretty cool. Keep the faith. Oh, the shout out to match buff. I should probably do that too. Match buff was my old the school I used to work at before seminary. But I digress. Facebook yeah. Catholic stuff podcast. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, by now we're already saying, and with your spirit, so peace be with you.